0: You're you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He
0: was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I
2: said. 103.9 FM, L.I. News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch
0: with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, and my co-host, Speedy, spiritual man, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. The Islanders played this afternoon, and we are on our time spot. The Islander season starts, and we're usually right after the Islander game. But happy to be here at 7 p.m. and entertain you for the next two hours. Speedy Petey, how was
2: your week? Well, we are technically right after the Islander game still. A little couple hours later, but I do like the spiritual entrance in the spirit of Halloween. It could be spiritual in so many different ways. I could be a ghost, I could be Well, you don't halting. have to wear a mask,
0: you scare anybody anyways.
2: <laughs> Maybe I will, yeah. Definitely would rule it out. Hopefully it's not anybody young that I'm scaring.
0: But... Well, you look like growing up in the
2: aftertime,
0: when gorillas were people.
2: Seriously. <laughs> Planet of the Apes now?
0: Well, you, you do look like an ape today. You need a haircut, and you, you definitely look like the next ever ending of I Don't Know. You look the next
2: like a... ever ending of I Don't Know. Yeah.
0: Hmm. That could be a good movie, by the way.
2: I was going to say, write a script for it now. I
0: don't know, because I'll be able to end it. Better (laughs) idea.
2: Get the comic guy we had on the show last year to write one.
0: That's true. I mean, we haven't had him on the show in a while, and he'd love to come on our show. Thank (laughs) you to Jillian.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. It was her show that she loved.
0: (laughs) We have a great show lined up for you. Later, we will have a special guest. We will be talking to Eyes on Isles blogger, Michelle Anderson. He'll be joining us. He's a blog writer for the New York Islanders. Does it full-time now. He is a great interview. You guys are going to really love this interview. We're going to get into the Zach Wilson injury and the New York Jets and what the Jets need to do after coming back from their bye week and just getting slapped around by the New England Patriots. That's the nice way to put it. We will get into the Giants' second win of the season. Daniel Jones making that unbelievable grab and Giant fans need to hold back and respect this guy because I think he is the future of this organization. I think if they give him some time for him to figure things out, no matter who the coach is, because it might not be Mr. Judge by the end of the season. But whoever it is, I think Daniel Jones needs more than one or two chances to figure things out, especially with this debacle of an office with Gettleman and Mara and whoever you want to call the Giants office up there. We will get into week seven and week eight. We'll make our free-for-all picks of the week, which I'm just kicking butt.
2: I, I gained ground last week. The what? Titans were the under. Yeah, I'm only down by two. <laughs> it's oh. like it's a monumental. It- it's over you for have. you down. It's over for Oh, really? Now. Yes. So we'll get
0: into our free-for-alls, obviously our interview. We will get into the Chicago Blackhawks situation with Joe Quinville and the team and the organization. Everybody in the front office. We're talking about the front offices today. That's for damn sure. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for a spurt of craziness. We will get into the NBA, the Knicks, as hot as they are, knocking off the Bulls the other day. And now, for the first time in a very long time, they are in first place in the Eastern Conference. Who would have thought? 4-1 and New York Knicks are in first place. Crazy story, but as the season progresses, maybe Randall actually hit foul shots, and we'll talk about this team actually making a run this year in the playoffs. We'll take a look at the Brooklyn Nets and how bad they've looked on the last couple of games. Kyrie Irvin, where are you? I think that's where Kevin Durant and James Harden are going to be cheering and calling and howling at the full moon one of these days because they need Kyrie Irving to come back.
2: Especially cause... James Harden. <laughs> James Harden is averaging
0: less than 20 points a game right uh, now. It's It's crazy. Maybe he's just dying down. And he was expecting that extension. He didn't get the extension in the offseason. So very interesting on what the Nets need to do in the offseason this coming year because maybe Kevin Durant's not going to be there. So uh, that's going to be an interesting story. Obviously, you know we're going to get into crunch time and debate wars. We have a lot to talk about in very little time, two hours, to give you the information. So why don't we get into Zach Wilson and the New York dying gangrene situation. Where do we start with the New York Jets? You think of the Jets going into the season. You talk about the youngest team in the NFL. You added rankings. You added some defensive line help. Carl Lawson. So many acquisitions. When you look at Joe Douglas and some of the moves that he made in the offseason. And you really were excited for the season. You were looking forward to the season. Watching another rookie quarterback play behind the line of scrimmage for the New York Jets. Watching this new improved offensive line with Makai Beckham, Elijah Vera Tucker on the left side. We haven't seen that really since the first week. And we only saw it for the first quarter before he got hurt. So this offensive line has been a deb- all season long. One of the worst offensive lines in football. You bring in a rookie coach in Robert Sala. Everybody was excited about it. Looking forward to seeing what he could do as a full-time coach. Right now if you really to grade him for the first eight weeks, I would grade him a C plus. Then you bring in a rookie offensive coordinator. The next big offensive coordinator in the league. Everybody was talking so highly praise of this kid. Kyle Shanahan, disciple. Sean McVay, disciple. Matt LaFleur, disciple. Well, I don't know what he's discipling because he looks worse than Adam Gase. I don't know where this offense is. I don't know where they are pulling out these wide receivers because they don't have any thought or any belief in Denzel Mims. You're watching this team, you can't do much but shake your head. Now, do I think Joe Douglas's drafts stink? No, I don't. I think a lot of these players have really turned out. You just don't notice it because this team is so young and still really so bad. You really don't see the great players that they've brought in. Michael Carter, the defensive back, he looks like he's going to be a player. Bryce Hall from last year's draft, he looks like he could be a big-time corner in this league for many, many years to come. Elijah Ferry Tucker is one of the best guards right now in the last three weeks, especially run guys. He can easily be a top-five guard in the very near future. There's not much to look forward to right now with this team. Now, Quinn Williams, he has had bright spots this year and dead spots as well. When you're an elite pass rusher, you're an elite defensive tackle, you expect this guy to be elite. And he's just not. He hasn't been this year. Rankins has not been what we believed he was going to be coming from the Saints. This defense is really hasn't been the same since Carl Lawson tore his Achilles in OTAs. Right now, there is nothing that really stands out as a Jet fan, the way you can sit here and say, oh my God, I can't wait until next week. I can't wait until the season is over. Because where their position in the draft will really solidify who they're going to be in the next couple of years, wherever they draft and however they draft. They also have Seattle's first-round draft pick, which looks like, as of right now, is a top-ten pick. Could be as close as a fifth pick in the first round. The best thing Geno Smith ever did for the Jets. (laughs) Seattle's done. They're out of the playoffs. They're not making the playoffs. They're going to fall two behind. They still got to wait at least two more weeks for Russell Wilson to come back from that injury. Because his finger is at 75-80%. So he's got to wait until 100% because he doesn't want to permanently injure that finger from his throwing hand. You're not going to see Russell Wilson for the next two weeks. If Geno Smith doesn't pull out a win in the next two weeks... Their season is practically over. Russell Wilson is playing for a new contract, or he's playing to be traded in the off season. So that's not a good sign for the Seattle team. It's a very good sign for the New York Jets. So with two first round draft picks, two second round draft picks, one third round, possibly three fourth rounds, two fits, they're positioned very, very well this year to solidify this team. Not only as the youngest team in football as they are right now, but a very young, talented team that you hope to look forward to. With what we've seen so far with this offensive line, I say Joe Douglas, again, goes after offensive linemen in this draft. I wouldn't go after a defensive end because you can get them later in the rounds. And this offensive line is just not good enough to protect Zach Wilson. The kid from Alabama, Neal, he would be a perfect fit for the Jets on the right side, or you put him on the left and you put Makai Beckham on the right. And center from Iowa, who a lot of people believe is one of the best centers we've seen come out of the draft in a very long time. They're
2: always good with offensive line, Iowa. If
0: you're getting these two first-round draft picks, I think you just need to solidify that offensive line so you're protecting this kid for the next 10 years. Because what we have seen so far this year is this kid be killed behind the line of scrimmage. He doesn't have more than two and a half seconds to throw the ball, which really doesn't do anything because none of these wide receivers are creating separation because they don't have a number one wide receiver. Corey Davis is clearly not a number one. Elijah Moore is still figuring things out. It might take a year or two for him to really get to that level where everybody says, wow, This is why the Jets drafted him. And we don't know what Denzel Mims is doing. And Jamison Crowder is going to be gone by next year. So we don't know where the Jets are when it comes to the offensive prowess that they have, which they can go after offensive players in the second round if they need B to do that.
2: Outside of Elijah Vera Tucker, the other problem with the offensive line, too, is they have a lot of more traditional guys that haven't fit a more exotic blocking scheme for Mike LaFleur's offense. And when you have guys that can move around, it definitely helps, but since Makai Becton is hurt, they don't really have that type of guy. Morgan Moses never really played in that type of offense, and he's had a lot of trouble so far. George Font, I guess, has played well at times in that type of Seattle-type offense with Russell Wilson's rolling out, and he's looked good in the motion offense because of that, but he's struggled in the last couple weeks. And that's a bigger problem when you're looking at Mike LaFleur, who's trying to quote-unquote stick to his ways, and so far it hasn't worked for them. And the bigger problem I have is he hasn't evolved his game plans. He knows his scheme hasn't been working so far in these particular games, yet it seems like they always start slow, especially offensively, and they always have very similar game planning. They've misused a lot of these guys, especially the running backs. Mm -hmm. And that's a big problem why their offense hasn't been balanced, and that's a big problem why teams don't have to blitz the Jets as often in terms of getting pressure on Wilson, and Zach Wilson's been hit a lot, blitzed a lot as a result. So in terms of a well-rounded offense, they really have to get that going, and Mike LaFleur I think is definitely the biggest one to blame for that. In terms of the draft position, it would be very good if they could get two top 10 picks if Seattle does end up finishing in that top 10, which seems very, very likely. They have a hard division. They have some hard games left in the NFC North that even if Russell Wilson does come back are not even guaranteed wins either, and they haven't been the same home team either, so they might even get two top 10 picks, which will enable them to get... Maybe one pass rusher, one offensive lineman, or something like that. I go
0: after two offensive linemen. Me Possibly and Jeff, two
2: offensive linemen. Me and Jeff were yeah. talking about depending it. Depending on how the board falls, yeah. Yeah.
0: solidify your offensive line because your franchise player is standing behind this offensive line and getting killed. You can really solidify this offensive line when you have Makai Beckham. They're all drafted apart from one another, so you can sign all of them. If in three years you sign Makai Beckham, long-term deal that one hundred million dollar deal, and then two years later you'll sign Elijah Very. Tucker seventy eighty million, and then two or three years later, you sign the other two guys. so you position yourself very, very well because if Zach Wilson is the real deal. You're going to have to pay him a lot of money, too. So if you want to win, you need to build through the trenches. Joe Douglas has said it. These beefcakes are not good enough to win games for the New York Jets, a.k.a. what we saw with the New England Patriots did to them last week Mm. and Matthew Judon. I want to finish up with the Giants. The Giants looked good last week. Now, did they play a top elite team? They didn't. But what we saw with the New York Giants is we see life. The coach speaks out, blames himself for the season, blames himself how the team is not really progressing. That's something that a lot of people wanted to hear. That's what the press wanted to hear. And ever since that, maybe the players have responded, Judge, and what he is as a coach. Now, me and you and a lot of other people have stuck up for Daniel Jones. I believe Daniel Jones is the player and the quarterback of the future for the New York Giants. Now, there are games that you just shake your head, some of the stupid plays that he makes, and you're just like, what the heck was that? But when he is on, when he is playing at the top of his game, Daniel Jones, could you see spots where you can see elite play? Now, I... I don't know if he's going to be an elite quarterback in this league. He doesn't have to be. Eli Manning was an elite. Eli Manning was a great quarterback, a second-tier quarterback, who's a Hall of Famer, who won two Super Bowls with the Giants. He's not Peyton. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Drew Brees. He's not Aaron Rodgers. But if he can make every single throw and use his legs to get out of trouble, and the catch that he made, it wasn't as big as the Odell Beckham catch against the Cowboys. But for a quarterback. Though. But for a quarterback making a catch like that and making a play like that, It was a fantastic play.
2: Who knew they had a receiver on this team when they had all those injuries? They just had at the quarterback position.
0: I think that this kid deserves a lot of credit for the craziness that he has been attacked by not only fans on social media, but even press people saying that he just doesn't fit the culture here. I disagree. I think he fits the culture very, very well with the Giants. And I think the Giants could win with him. Now, the defense needs to wake up. Leonard Williams needs to wake up. Leonard Williams got a lot of money in the offseason. He made almost $40 million, guaranteed. When you get that kind of money, you expect this kid to play at the top of his game. Last year, he had 13 and a half sacks. He was one of the best defensive linemen in the league. This year, he's laid up a lousy goose egg. He has not played well. What does he have, three sacks?
2: Yeah, all of which are in the last two games, too. He's played better, but not consistent.
0: He needs to play at the top of his game. He was a top-end pick from the New York Jets. Sixth pick in the first round. Didn't work out in New York as far as the Jets are concerned. He moved on to the New York Giants when the, that was the first time the Giants and, and the Jets actually made a trade together. Yeah. And Leonard Williams last year worked out very well for the Giants. And he got his contract. But Gettleman is riding on very soft tissue. And I don't know if the Maras and the Tisch family are going to sit here and say, Don't worry, Gettleman. We'll get them next year. I don't think that's going to happen this year. This team has to be a borderline playoff team. I don't know if they have to make the playoffs. I don't think they're catching the Cowboys. Right. But they got to make a run. They got to win at least eight or nine games. They got to show some life from what they had last year, from six wins to, I guess, nine wins. And then the year after, they win 12 or 11, and they're a playoff team. This is a team. That overpaid for Kenny Galladay. He's not the player they thought he was. They have the human joystick that I believe could be the number one guy for the future for the New York Giants. He's got speed. He's got hands. And he doesn't shut up. It reminds me a lot like Odell Beckham. And he needs to keep his hands to himself and his mouth to himself. But all in all, as long as he stays on and off the field like a professional, something Odell Beckham couldn't do here in New York, I think that the Giants are positioned very, very well. And Saquon Barkley... I don't know what to expect with him. In the offseason, I think the Giants should look to trade him. I know you're trading him on a low, but I don't know how much of a high you're going to get of him. He can't stay healthy. The Giants, if he's 100% healthy, put it out there to teams that will take a second and a fourth for somebody like him. You're not getting a first for him. No, I don't
2: think there's any way he'll do that.
0: No, but you can get a second.
2: You're you're barely going to get a second as it is because the running back market isn't strong either.
0: I think he's a good running back. I still think that if you put him in the right scheme... He'll be really good. You put him with Kansas City. Good. We'll take Hilaire back. <laughs> you put him with the Jets. He wants to be a Jet. Maybe somehow the Giants and the Jets make another trade. The Giants are moving on their way up. The Jets are moving on their way down. And New York football is just moving all over the place. The only team that's actually playing well in New York is Buffalo. And Josh Allen has a chance to win an MVP this year. And this team is a team to be reckoned with, being that they're 4-2 and they have a chance to be 5-2 and this week. New York football, you go from really bad to mediocre yeah. to really good.
2: <laughs> yeah, the Giants mediocre. Joker is a good way to describe him because Daniel Jones has shown good signs this year. I think he's definitely earned definitely, definitely earned another year at least. The only way I can't see Daniel Jones being on the team is if they have a cardinal situation where they hire a coach that wants quote unquote his guy like a college coach or an offensive guru type coach that I
0: think he can run, I think he could throw, I think he could do everything.
2: I agree Daniel right. Jones' skill set has definitely improved from where it was the first two years and he's overcome adversity this year with all the receiving injuries and Saquon's injury all at once and he still played well. And even after his big catch, he didn't really get overconfident, overhyped on that, too. He stayed focused, and he played well the rest of the game, and the Giants really gained a lot of momentum. In terms of the receiving depth, we'll have to see if they can get it healthy. Kadarius Tony, I'm hoping, can play this week against the Chiefs because that could be a matchup that they could definitely expose with their horrible defense. And in terms of Saquon, I could definitely see them exploring trade him. If he does come back later this season and maybe looks somewhat decent like the running back he was, especially with a new front office to explore, too. Now, if they do get a different coach, though, maybe they want to hang on to Saquon and see what he could do maybe in that scheme because that offensive coaching isn't helping him at all.
0: When we come back ladies and gentlemen, we'll finish up some football. We'll get into the trade deadline, who we think will be moving on from their teams. I wouldn't be so surprised if the New York Jets will be moving pieces away because they're rebuilding right now as we speak as the youngest team in the NFL. We'll get into that and we'll also get into our free-for-all picks of the week here on The Weekend Crunch. We Are back, ladies and gentlemen, this is The Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Big Easy, Errol Marks. And on the board, as always, the producer, the pain in the butt, the DJ, the everything speedy, spiritual PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7pm to 9pm New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. There's so much going on in the world. So much tension with the vaccinations and gas prices going up and just really the change of scenery, the change of weather here in New York and all over the country, all over the world. But The one thing that I could say about our country, I say this because my father's birthday was last week. My father passed away almost five and a half years ago. My rock, the person that I have always looked up to, a person that really has pushed me to be the person that I am, the man that I am today. You look at the good things that are going on in the world, the people that are bright in your life and I think that sometimes you just got to take a step back and realize that your life is so short it's not always about being rich it's not always about having all the things that you want because if you don't have your health and you don't have people that really do care about you and love you you don't have anything I think a lot of people, besides looking at the woes and and the craziness that's going on in your life, look at what you have. Look at the bright things that you have, because those are the things that really mean more in your life. That's my advice to you. I'm not a spiritual guy, but it's definitely something I've been thinking about. I just wanted to feed you guys my expertise on that.
2: Anyways. You're the philosophical guy. I'm the spirit guy today.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess so. It's not saying much. I want to finish up with some NFL conversation. The NFL trade deadline is coming around the quarter, Speedy, and talk about the Jets, you talk about the Giants, Evan Ingram, seems like he's a big name in conversation to yeah. numerous teams. Five to six teams that could be interested in Evan Ingram. Pot hands himself. <laughs> and with Marcus May being dangled, even though he came out and said he wants to be a Jet for life, and some of the other veteran players that maybe the Jets want to part ways with moving forward. Do you see a big trade coming for our New York teams, or do you see a big trade coming from other teams that are open to trade away pieces because they're just not a winning organization?
2: Yeah, a A lot of pass rushers we've seen dangled a lot. Two of the most notable names have been Melvin Ingram, who has not been happy with his playing time with the Steelers. He struggled this year, just one sack and six quarterback hits, but still a good pass rusher, as we know, pretty consistent throughout his career. That could definitely be a spark on another team. The Steelers, we always know, has been stingy with having their scheme fits their players in the past. So I could definitely see him getting moved. Another one is Fletcher Cox, who's a longtime Eagle. We already saw Zach Ertz get traded from the Eagles. So it seems like they're kind of in that we want to get younger mode after giving a lot of big contracts, and Cox is a guy that's played defensive end, he's played defensive tackle, a versatile lineman that a contending team could definitely use. In terms of the Giants and the Jets, I'm hoping the Giants trade Ingram, because I've never liked him. I never liked him when they <coughs> drafted him, and he can't block. He's had trouble catching the ball. His route running's not bad, but it's not great, and I think with six teams, you have, definitely have to explore it. I've heard the Saints, I've heard the Panthers. You definitely have to explore it if, the, if that many teams are interested. Hopefully, miraculously, they get somewhat good pick, but if the Jets can get fourth for Herndon, and hopefully the Giants can pull off a miracle but I don't trust Tate Gettleman to necessarily do that in terms of May though I could definitely see the Jets getting a second round pick for him definitely maybe even a late first round maybe a late first if a yeah. team if a team is that desperate mm-hmm. the only thing is the safety position I know Jamal Adams just got traded for two first so maybe that's the exception to the rule but the safety position isn't as highly prioritized but you could definitely see a contending team go after that <laughs> maybe a team with all the secondary injuries they have this season the Buccaneers could be a, an option for that kind of thing and then they sign him and maybe let some of their other veterans go you mentioned the Chiefs. Couple weeks mm-hmm. ago. Will they make the money work for that? Could be an interesting question, but they need some level of defense. The Chargers? It's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I can see the Saints. Uh, another team like the Chiefs that probably has to make the money work. They're more of a defensive team, but they still could use some secondary depth help. Tennessee, maybe another team too, could go along with Bayard. I think that could help complement because Bayard is more of the traditional cover safety, whereas May could do a little bit of everything. It's a good market for borderline teams. Last year, a lot of trades. Yeah.
0: I believe this year, will be even more, and I think a lot of teams are going to use the trade deadline to really make their team better, being that there's one more extra game this year, and then you got to play a long playoff. And some of these teams are going to have to play in the wild card and grow through the whole playoff to have even a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So I look at the trade deadline this year as important as it was last year. And this Deshaun Watson story has really been beating a huge story, not only throughout the country, but in Miami, where Miami really has come out and said that this is a done deal. We want them. The problem is, will the NFL allow the trade Because of the fact that Deshaun Watson has 21 or 22 counts of rape. Even though I don't believe it's a case where he's going to go to jail. But if he is prosecuted, it could be a significant amount of time before he steps on the field again. Why would Miami decide, you know what, we have a young quarterback, we drafted a young quarterback, let's go with this, maybe he pulls off a couple of really big wings and gets us back into the race. Why would you let your quarterback know that you're interested in possibly a future Hall of Famer or one of the top quarterbacks in the league because he's available?
2: The interesting dilemma now the Dolphins have is, one, because they traded a lot of draft capital to the Eagles to trade up last draft, are they going to be willing to part ways with more first round picks? Now they did get some from the 49 40- Niners back, which helps. And also how much of a sample size is Tua showing now that he's playing better, or is Tua just playing kind of emotional and trying to prove himself just to get traded? Because he also quoted in saying, I don't feel like I'm not wanted here, which could be a misleading thing, but also could be something that says, alright, maybe I want to go somewhere else too. And he's proven himself nicely the last two weeks, but also the defenses he's played is Atlanta and Jacksonville, which is nothing special.
0: Either. No, and I feel bad for him because he really didn't have a chance to prove himself as a quarterback. Do I think he's an NFL starting quarterback? quarterback in this league. I don't think he is. I think the same way with Sam Darnold. now. Sam Darnold had a chance to prove himself with Carolina. He had a 3-0 record in the beginning of the season. Christian McCaffrey gets hurt. He puts his tail between his legs and actually has played terrible. He went from 3-0 to 3-4. Now he's going into game number eight where he can lose five games in a row and remember... The Carolina Panthers gave up a second and
2: a fourth to the Jets for Sam Darnold. So that could set their team back if Sam Darnold isn't the guy. Yeah, Sam Darnold, I think the biggest problem with him in this losing streak, because of no McCaffrey, teams have now tried to double-team and give more attention to D.J. Moore. D.J. Moore was great for the first four weeks and has been disappointing the last two. So Darnold really hasn't gotten those other options going like we saw him do in the beginning of the season. The second game of the season, when they beat the Saints, he threw to eight different guys, and it seems like he shied away from it and starts to force-feed like he did with the Jets at times.
0: He's not looked good, and who knows? In the next couple of years, Sam Darnold could be above the league's second-tier quarterbacks, but I don't know if he's going to be a starting quarterback in this league. Maybe he'll go to the Jets as a backup. <laughs> nah, that's not going to happen. The Jets <laughs> aren't going to bring know, it back. Do you thinking, with what we've seen so far, with all the players that are going to be moved or have been moved already in the offseason, possibly getting moved at the trade deadline, a lot of these teams are going to be looking to try to make their move into the playoffs. And there are teams that are still on the cusp of it. The New England Patriots, they're 3-4. If they could beat the L.A. Chargers, they could get back into this race. They get their fourth win. The L.A. Chargers lose two games in a row. They go to 4-3. and three, And you're talking about a completely different race in the AFC. If you look at Buffalo, if Buffalo loses this week, Buffalo goes 4-3. and three, And you're talking about they can win the division, the Patriots.
2: That would be a pretty bad loss if Buffalo loses to Miami this week. I mean, it could
0: happen. I'd like to see if Tua can put a little bit of vengeance and actually show that up. That would in be a prove-it
2: league. game for him if he does play well against Buffalo. Because Buffalo's defense has been great all year.
0: There's so much. Going on in football, Speedy.
2: So, we're gonna get into our free for all picks of the week. So, score update I did gain a point last week with the Titans on the under because the Chiefs didn't score barely any points, so it is now a two-point lead for you. We'll start the Steelers at the Browns. The over-under is 42. Baker Mayfield is likely to play, apparently. I'm going to take the Browns on the under. I would have taken them anyway, even if Baker Mayfield didn't play, because Case Keenum, while he wasn't great, he still showed like he could be a serviceable quarterback, and they're expecting to get Nick Chubb back this week. I think he'll be limited because DeAndre Johnson, one, still did play well, and two, he's only practiced in limited fashion, but the Steelers really aren't, haven't shown a lot to me on offense Cleveland can stop the run Najee Harris has been the Steelers best player so I'll take the Browns on the under
0: if Baker plays I'm going to take the Browns on the under too I did pick him on the sports loudmouths the Steelers to win the game if Baker does somehow play and Chubb actually plays I'm going to take the Browns on the under I think when you look at the explosive plays and, and Baker can open up the field with some of the weapons that he has it changes the look and the outlook
2: of the Cleveland Browns so
0: Give me the Browns on the under.
2: All right. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. The over-under is 49.5. I'm going to go with the upset here. I'm going to take the Saints. I think the Buccaneers have a bit of a letdown after last week. Tom Brady gets the 600 touchdown pass. Obviously, we know what Mike Evans did with the football, all the stuff the fan got. I think they have a bit of a letdown. The Saints have been impressive defensively so far. And Tampa's got some injuries in the secondary where I think Jameis Winston, even though he's a turnover machine, I think he'll still get some big plays over the top on that defense and I think that'll end up just being enough for them to win with that defense I'm gonna take the Saints I'll take them on the under
0: oh I got Tampa all the way in this game I think Tampa's gonna outplay outbeat the Saints in New Orleans I don't trust Jameis Winston in a big game like this they need to win this game we don't know when Michael Thomas is coming back they're saying they're pushing it off for another two weeks when he does come back it's definitely gonna open up the field for Jameis Winston that's for sure and Alvin Kamara but this is the Buccaneers game to lose Tom Brady Breaking records, not something that I'm cheering about, but I have the Buccaneers.
2: I'm going to take the Buccaneers on the under. Sunday Night Football, Dallas Cowboys at the Minnesota Vikings. The over-under is 52.5. I'm going to take another upset here. I'm going to take the Vikings. Dak Prescott, limited in practice this week. He'll probably play, but he's not going to be 100%. That's going to definitely take a hit on that offense. The receivers are still very deep, which will help. I think they get Gallup back this week as well. But the Vikings defense has played better in recent weeks. They're actually tied for the league lead in sacks. And they've done well against the run. So I think they'll play better than a lot of people think. And their offense matches up well where I think they can avoid Trayvon Diggs and be able to throw it at everyone else. Not only the two dynamic receivers that play well, KJ Osborne played well, well, and I think Dalvin Cook bounces back nicely. So I'll take the Vikings in the upset here. I'll take them on the under.
0: With the sports loudmouths, I wasn't sure if Dak was playing. And even if Dak does play, I'm going to take the Vikings on the upset too. Being that the Vikings are 100% healthy, I trust that the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, even though... On a big primetime game, Kirk Cousins doesn't really show up. I think he'll show up in this game. They need this win if they plan to make the playoffs, especially the way the Green Bay Packers are just absolutely blowing out the opposition. And by the way, Green Bay, with all the weapons that they've lost, they still beat the Arizona Cardinals. What does that tell you? Statement game for that team, and that defense especially, too, proved a lot. Green Bay... Could absolutely go to the Super Bowl this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do. But I got the Vikings on the under. Kirk Cousins
2: throws over 350 yards. It's more Monday Night Football he struggles, not Sunday Night Football. So It's still I a get, prime time. But I think he's only two under 500. So I wanted to win. pick the Cowboys, but I
0: don't know if Dak is going to play, and I don't know if he's going to be 100% healthy. So if he's not, I can't bet on their backup quarterback to make the throws and make the plays. That's going to help them beat the Vikings. Oh, Cooper Rush, Jeff's boy. Yeah, well, (laughs) there you go. So those are our free-for-all picks of the week. When we come back, our special guest, we will be talking to Eyes on Isles blogger, Michelle Anderson, here on the Weekend Crunch. We. Are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I am dancing behind this mic. Somebody's got to do it. Speedy doesn't know how to dance. He does these rock egg kicks or whatever the hell they call it. Yeah, I definitely don't have room to do that behind no. here. <laughs> As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl March, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9 LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 our special guest. I know a lot of Islander fans, and this is an Islander channel, so you're going to love this guy. He's one of the best bloggers right now on the market for the New York Islands. We are now talking to Eyes on Isles blogger, Michelle Anderson. What's going on, Michelle? Not a whole lot. What's going on with you guys? I'm pretty damn. So tell us a little bit about your blog. How long have you been doing this blog? How many followers you have? And what made you
1: decide to write about the Islanders? About five, six years. My son's six, and I started doing it just about when he was born. Followers. The only thing that has a number is Twitter, and that's around 1,800. That's good. That's good. That's a healthy amount. And why did I decide to do it? Well, I was working full-time as a federal government employee, and I didn't like it. I cannot keep doing this nine-to-five thing anymore, so... I like hockey. I started writing about hockey and that's been the last five years of my life. And you're getting paid for it. I am indeed. I'm getting paid for it full time. I don't work there anymore. I officially quit two months ago. Oh, There you go. So good. Congratulations.
0: Living a dream. Writing stories about the Islanders. So why don't we get into the New York Islanders? And in the beginning of the season the first two games the Islanders didn't look good. They gave up 11 goals in the first two games. Sorokin, obviously a young goaltender coming into the NHL, coming from the KHL. Bigger ice. Last year you saw in the playoffs he gave up a lot of rebounds which actually affected him later in the rounds and why Vlamov eventually took over against Tampa Bay. When you look at Sorokin right now,
1: position where he is and Vlamov
0: coming back, do you think this is his job to lose? I don't
1: think it was ever his job to begin with. So the way things started out this year, it was always going to be 1A, 1B. They were not going to be playing Corey Schneider. It was really a 1A, 1B 50% down the line for Sorokin, 50% for Varlamov and maybe it changes a 5% here or there based off of whoever's playing The best at that time. But I I don't think it's his to lose because it was never his to begin with, in so much as only his. This is very much a partnership and a duo and a tandem. And the fact that Simeon Varlamov is coming back just reinforces that. There's no loss. There's no negative here. It's just pure positive for the Islanders right now.
2: So long-term, if Sorokin does end up taking over as that main starter type like he's supposed to, what do you see them doing with Varlamov? Do you see them re-signing him cheap? Do you see them maybe moving him? Maybe a signing trade type thing? Maybe getting extension of this current contract?
1: When you look at the Islanders, they're stuck up against the cap. Keeping someone who's on $5 million like Simeon Varlamov is for this year and next doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But the way that the NHL is evolving, you need two strong goalies. Gone are the days where you have everyone has their one guy that they play 60, 65 some odd games. It still happens, of course. But those days are going away because they're going into this. We have stronger caliber players that we can put in and that we can share the crease. So you don't see these 10, $11 million goalies so much anymore. So I could imagine they keep him on just like they do with like Ross Johnson, right? They're keeping Ross Johnson for four years. Why don't you want to keep someone who's a Vezina caliber goalie? He was fifth for the Vezina trophy last year and probably should have won it for another couple of years. Now, of course, the salary cap does factor in. We've seen the Islanders shed $5 million contracts for the last couple of years now. Can they shed this one next year? Yeah, probably. I see that as the likelier option rather than an extension in keeping him. Not because he's not good, Just because we need to make some space and $5 million is a lot of space.
0: If he becomes available at the trade deadline and they can get him for a swoop, maybe a Bailey and a pick, they're going to have to shed some money because Tarasenko next year and the year after is only making $5.5 million. So if you trade Bailey in that trade and maybe a pick to make
1: them happy, you could get that done. Bringing in Tarasenko is the play, ideally, because the marriage between Tarasenko and the St. Louis Blues is as fractured as fractured can be. It is very much on life support, but... Like Errol says, he's making $5.5 million in terms of total salary, but his cap it is still $7.5 million. Mm-hmm. But if you can move, say Bailey, that frees up quite a bit of space to make that work. Can they do that this year? You can always work the math. If I say no, someone is going to be screaming their mind out, going like, my cap-friendly page says they can. They're right to an extent you can make anything work. Is can they actually in the real world get it done? I'm not so sure. Not now. Maybe next year. And then that's where you talk about the moving the Varlamov, Kyle Clutterbuck maybe coming in at a lot less than three point five million dollars per year. Now we've got space, and we know already that Tarasenko is healthy, so that question may not linger next year when this discussion has to be taken up again.
0: I think Kyle Clutterbuck will sign back with the Islanders. Obviously a cheaper price. I think they're gonna try to keep this fourth line together because I think this is the best fourth line in hockey this is the heart of their team that fourth line but I want to get into the players that they brought in the offseason Zidane Ochara Parisi two guys that I thought were going to play a big part of this team as they move forward in the season two veterans two captains two guys that have won before when you look at Parisi right now playing on that third line with uh, Pajot and Wallstrom do you think Zach Parisi will figure things out and actually start playing like the Parisi we remember and Zidane Ochara I think he's going to absolutely help If he's going to help anybody, he's going to help the goaltending, especially Sorokin, growing in this league, especially one year, that
1: one-year contract. So both players, what do you see with both of these players as they move forward in Barry Trotz's system? I think Zach Parise has already proven that he's worth the money they're giving him. He doesn't have the points, but when you look at the underlying numbers, he's doing exactly what the Islanders want their players to do. So the whole Islander system is defense first. I think the best summation of their system, it's a bend-don't-break system. They invite all types of offensive pressure But they know that we're going to keep you to the outside and we're going to limit your dangerous opportunities and then we're going to score on our own. And to do that, they need to be playing solid defense and transition that defense into offense. And when you look at the underlying numbers for someone like Zach Brise, Oliver Wallstrom, and Jean-Gabriel Pajot, they're very, very, very good at that. They start over 60% of their zone starts in the D zone, yet some of the only positive players when it comes to Corsi and expected goals for On the entire team. And when we're talking about positive expected goals for, we're not talking about like just a little bit over 50 we're talking like 60%, which is really, really good. They're really good at doing what they're supposed to do in the system. So for a guy like Zach Parise, he's already doing what he's supposed to do. I have no worries about him at all. When it gets to 8 Nocharo, that's a little bit tougher because he very much looks his age. He's 44 years old. He's long in the tooth, right? Specifically for the NHL. So when it gets to his speed, that's kind of an issue, but it's not the big issue that everyone's making it out to be. Like the Islanders were never a fast team to begin with. So I don't think we need to worry about like oh my god the team is slow now because they have chara they were slow to begin with this is just making them yes a little bit slower but i think what we're failing to realize here is that bringing in extra speed Probably wasn't something that Lou Lamarla could have done. Now you talk about Zidane Ochara's impact on the team. Sorokin for sure is going to benefit from it, but a guy like Noah Dobson is definitely going to benefit from that. You got the sweet whispers of Zidane Ochara pounding down from the mountaintops, literally into Noah Dobson's ear. Dobson is
0: Dobson's not a slouch either. I mean, he's six foot <laughs> four. I was at the draft, and I remember when Oliver Wallstrom was drafted at eleven, and then Dobson was drafted at twelve. I went down to interview both of them. Wallstrom's a stocky six. Six foot, 5'11 type of of guy, yeah. And then you look at Dobson. I was looking up. He's got a personality. He is huge. I told him, I said, we're expecting big things from you, especially with your size. He says... Well, I'm definitely big. That's for sure. We both started laughing. His publicist is not much of a nice guy. But nevertheless, we had a lot of fun. And I think Noah Dobson's going to be a star in this league for many, many years to
1: come. But as far as looking up, he's not that much bigger than Noah Dobson. That's true. And it's wild to think, right? Like 6'2", six, 6'4", six, you're thinking that's two inches, not big deal. Yeah. But I'm six feet. My buddy Matt is 6'4". And I feel like I'm yelling to the hilltops whenever I have to speak to him. He's only just a little bit taller than I am. But when you get to Chara or the difference between Chara and Dobson, 6'4 and 6'9, it's just five inches. But like, my God, it really stands out. But he's going to benefit from that just like Charlie McAvoy, Dougie Hamilton, and even Johnny Boychuk did throughout their careers of hearing what Zidane Chara has to say.
2: So one of the biggest weaknesses the Islanders have has been their power play. Bringing in Paul Mary now, having them for a full season now, Parise now, who's been a power play guy in Minnesota in the past, and even with the Devils when he was a young player. How do you think those kinds of acquisitions end up helping them out? Now, Paul Mary kind of evolved a bit later because he wasn't always there with Anaheim because Teemu Solani was there, and then they had Cochleano, guys like that. But Parise, it seems like Minnesota always was that power play guy. Do you think those guys will be the first-line power play wingers to go along with that because they have the experience? Or do you think maybe it could be somebody like Wallstrom? evolves into that
1: wallstrom has to without a doubt has to be the first shoot option on the power play power play one not power play two when the power play goes he's got to be one of the first two guys going over the boards barzal and then it's got to be wallstrom at the very least after that you can kind of tinker around with how the lineups go but it has to be wallstrom in that release position in the Ovi office getting that clapper off because there's nothing that he does better than shoot pucks at the net But the problem with the power play, it's not even coaching anymore because they've gone through two different power play coaches specifically and yielded the same results. It's definitely the personnel that they operate. And as much as I'm a Josh Bailey fan and a Josh Bailey stand, he does not belong on the power play. He's a great passer. He's not a shot threat. Goalies know he's not going to be the one clapping one timers from the, the right side. So I don't really need to worry about it. I can cheat. And defensemen know that too. give him space. Great. He's going to dipty doodle. And yeah, he can he might find a pass and he might do something, but we know he's not going to shoot the puck. And that's a problem because a successful power play is hinging on the fact of getting pucks towards the net. Even if you miss them, you know, it's creating that chaos and getting defensemen out of position. That's what a power play is supposed to do. And Josh Bailey doesn't help that necessarily. And so when it comes to getting a little bit more success on that power play it's diminishing Josh Bailey's role on that first power play line and maybe putting in someone like Peugeot even who's just more of a shot threat than he is it's funny that, that's the first thing they have to do
2: it's funny our main writer who writes a lot for the Islanders he can't stand Josh Bailey <laughs> he, you love him he hates Josh Bailey it's a whole nother level of hate and you want to know something Josh Bailey has
0: had a pretty good career with the New York Islanders he was the fifth pick Snow's first pick a lot of Islander fans couldn't stand him his first three years were horrible they were like oh boss And then finally, he started figuring things out, and he's been a big part of the growth of some of these players and some of these teams. He's been a leader to this team, and he is still an assistant captain of this team. They could have given it to Zidane Ochara. They could have given it to Zach Parisi, guys that have been captains of teams, but they decided to stick with their roots in the guys. So I'm not surprised Josh Billy is still on his team, and he's one of the leaders, and a lot of people look up to him.
1: He had some bad years. What do you expect from a kid who's drafted ninth overall and then thrown right into the league? We forget that he was thrown right into the NHL right out of the draft and expected like, cool, you're a ninth overall pick, go. And he's like, go with what? What am I going with? There's nothing around me to do anything with. And sure enough, it took a while after that. But once it got going, it got going pretty well. So you can still say like, I don't like the first eight years of Josh Bailey's career. And I'm mad that that happened. Cool. Absolutely. But you can't then say, like, I am still mad about that, even though he's bad. You can be mad about that, but glad about this. Like, you can do both things. Like, he's top 10 in franchise history for scoring, and people are still mad at him. That's not saying much, that's for sure. more does he have? (laughs) But still, 10th. 10th. Yeah. That's pretty high. Yeah. I get that you can be mad for the first 8 years of his career. We also have to realize that maybe he wasn't being put in the best position to begin with either.
0: When you look at the Islanders as a whole, I love what Lou Lamorello did. He extended Polak. He extended Pelic. I believe the best defensive pairing in all of hockey. And got him on the cheap. He got two players for the price of one. Slowly but surely, Lou Lamorello is stamping his name to this team and his roster. This team is practically going to be together for the next 3 years again. Practically all the players were signed and ready to go. When you look at the Islanders, is this the time for the next three or four years where the Islanders can make a run and win not one, but maybe two Stanley Cups?
1: Yeah. If you're asking, is the window open? Absolutely. You ask someone else, they might say the window's closed. My retort to that would be like, didn't it just open? A lot of people have said that like last year, like, oh, the window's closed on the Islanders. And I'm going, How? It just opened. Did you slam it shut? Because that's not fair necessarily. I would definitely say they're in their window. You look at the contracts they've got. The only guys coming off the books is UFAs. Cal Clutterbuck. Zach Parise. Well, that makes a whole lot of Mm -hmm. sense. And then you've got Chara Andy Green. So the four oldest guys on the roster are coming off. Some of them, Cal specifically, is going to be retained for a cheaper price. And then you look at our face. Kiefer Bellows, well, hasn't really done a whole lot necessarily. And then you got They're Noah gonna Dawson. trade him.
0: He's- I think they're gonna use him in a trade. If they go after somebody at the trade deadline, we were just talking about Vladimir Tarasenko, Kiefer Bellows will be one of those guys that
1: they're gonna put in that trade because he's a goal scorer. I like Kiefer. I just don't think he fits to this team. He's got the first round pedigree, 19th overall pick. And look, Peter Shirelli is in a power of position at St. Louis. That bodes well for the Islanders already. Mm -hmm. Immediately. Mm -hmm. it's going to be a one-for-one trade for Kiefer Bellows and Vladimir Tarasenko, and they're going to keep money Mm -hmm. because it's Peter Shirelli, and he just (laughs) seems to do that when it comes to the Islanders. You look at the core of this team, and the core of this team is together for a while. The only important piece is Matthew Barzell, whose contract comes up in two years. But if anyone thinks they're not going to re-sign him, him. You're an idiot. Again. They're not going to do the same thing they did
0: with John Tavares. I believe by next year, they're going to extend him. They're going to give him $10.5 million. He'll take that. He loves the island. After what John Tavares did to Matthew Barzell after he <laughs> decided to leave the Islanders and called him the other guy that the, the kid, kid who won, the Calder. The kid. He didn't even call him by his name. He disrespected him. I don't see Matthew Barzell leaving and walking away from the Islands. I believe that if the Islanders are a championship competitive team year in and year out, why would you leave this team? This team is built you have all these old guys coming off the boards and then you have Robin Salo coming you have Ruti coming. They're gonna have money coming off the boards where they're gonna be able to bring in another player. And by the way, a new stadium. The house that Matthew Barzell built. If you don't think he's the next captain for the Islanders, I don't know what you see. John Tavares walked out on the Islanders. After telling in the Islanders that he wants to be an Islander for life, he decides, you know what, I didn't tell you that my fiancé was taking a job in Toronto, and that's where I was heading. He didn't say that, where the Islanders, Lou Lamarola actually sat down with him and said, listen, we'll trade you, we'll try to get something for you, and if you want to come back, we'll sign you in the off-season. No, I want to be here forever. And then he goes with his little pajamas, I call him pajama boy, he goes over there to Toronto and acts like a complete idiot, and he hasn't won crap. And then what, Zygmunt Palfi? The Islanders decided to part way with Zygmunt Palfi, because They didn't know who the owner was because he claimed he was a multi-billionaire when he was stealing money in Ponzi scheme and it screwed Mm. the Islanders and set the Islanders back. So they couldn't re-sign Zygmunt Poffey And Pierre Turgeon, by the time Pierre Turgeon decided that he was out, his career was
1: over thanks to Dale Hunter. So who did they lose? Consider when it comes to this, like when John Tavares era from 2009 to 2018, they went to the playoffs how many times? Twice. They've already done that three times in Matthew Barzal's four years here. Mm -hmm. Just in that alone, why would you leave that? The new barn, he's on Long Island, literally next door to New York. When you talk about sports capitals of the world, it's New York, man. It really is. The endorsement money is there. And if you talk about the potential growth to any fan base... How many people live on Long Island? Isn't it like 8 million? Yeah, it's a lot. We all know that the Islanders fan base is not the biggest. That doesn't mean it can't be one of the biggest. They start winning, they continue winning, and Matthew Barzell is a focal point of that. That could turn around not just the fan base temporarily, but for the long term. Michelle, before we let you go, I've always been interested. My partner
0: from the hockey show, his name was Ashley. You're Canadian, right? That's right. Okay, so I'm in uh, Ottawa. What is it with Canadian names being like, Girls' names. I don't know just that. I said this to Ashley. Who do we have on the show? An ex NHL player from Vancouver. Valerie something. Bury, yeah. maybe. No, it wasn't I'm, Valerie Burry. Yeah. But I asked them both. I said, What is it with Canadian names being girls' and guys' names? Ashley got red, and I said, I'm not calling you
1: a girl. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what is it? Is there there something about the Canadian language? I'm French. There's a a female and a masculine Michelle. So mine is the masculine. The the feminine one has the extra L and the extra E at the end.
0: I got it. What was funny about it is I think, I I forget who it was. He he was a pretty good hockey player. I think he had 300 goals in his NHL career. He took it to the heart. And I'm like, sir, I'm not calling you a girl. That's not what I'm saying. I said, what is it? And Ashley, like, I don't know if you know who Ashley Sarge is. He writes for the... Rangers right. writes for the Devils. He, he's a beat writer. He used to work for the NHL Network. He used to be my partner on the hockey show. I used to pick on him. Is all it Kamensky?
2: He has two hundred goals. Valerie Kaminsky? I think
0: it was Valerie Kamensky. It right? is. Yeah. Yes, and and he was on the show and he was talking about roller hockey and all this other stuff. And I, he asked him the question. He's like a pro roller hockey player too. One right. of the best. I thought it was funny, and he took it so much to the heart. And I was like, dude, just relax. I wasn't making fun of your name. I wanted to know what is it all about. And he was like, well. What's your name? And I said, my name is Errol. He says, is that masculine? I was like, I don't know. It might be a girl's (laughs) name. I don't know. And I started laughing. I think he took it to the heart. But I I always wanted to know because I asked Ashley, I said, why do you have a girl's name? And he says, it's not a girl's name. It's a masculine name. I said, well, explain to me how masculine it is. And he says, go look it up, what it means in French. I was like, I'm not French, so I wouldn't even know. So I love messing around with people. I always screw around.
1: Michelle is French, but it comes from the Bible, right? And it's the angel, the the guardian angel, the one that slayed the devil, demon, That's dragon right. thing. That's right. Yes. I'm not very Catholic.
2: By the way, we have to mention this. We actually have an Islanders fan on our network that thinks Matthew Barzal is overrated. Can you please tell him why he's not? No, you
1: don't have to. He's a moron. Let me, my, my face will do the talking.
2: That's good enough. He, he's an <laughs> idiot. I, I love
0: Lyle, but he is... In his own little world, stupid, he goes to all the home games for the islanders, and I said, "If you ever said that to an islander fan, they' probably toss your ass." On the ice when there's a hat trick. But I definitely want you on the show again. I think you're great. What I really want to do is I want to get an Islander guy and I want to get a Ranger guy on the show. Who's the Ranger guy? Anthony Scultore. It's Forever Blue Shirts. Yeah, he's very popular. Ranger fans him love him. Him and Errol, him.
2: we've had him on twice. Him and Errol have argued on everything.
0: <laughs> he's a Ranger guy. Last year, he had the audacity to tell me that the Islanders were going to end up dead last in their division. And I said... What are you, on drugs? They Meanwhile, were... he had the Flyers winning the division. He had the Flyers the winning the division. And I said, <laughs> what are you, on drugs? I said, I wouldn't be surprised if the Islanders go to the Eastern Conference Championship again this year. And you know what happened? They went to the Eastern Conference Championship. And then when we got them on, I said, what did you think about the Islanders? He said, they still lost. They say they were one goal away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals.
1: I one will say goal. this about the Rangers. Mm-hmm. I am a big fan of the Potvin' Sucks champ. I love Puffet. I've got his number there. Favorite player is the reason I'm an Islander fan. That is a sign of a true rivalry when you have something that's that old and they, they bring it up even when there's not even hockey playing. Love it. Absolutely love it. It's funny. never stop, please.
2: It's funny. All my family are Ranger fans, and my mother does that too. Every time that chant, just the instrumental of it, the the <laughs> da, 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 goes off to the arena. I'm Like she'll just be watching it on the TV, and she'll say that. It's perfect. Like they, I they, love like it. they all embrace it, and all the Ranger fans too. Beauty. The one thing people forget.
0: The beauty of hockey and what hockey does is hockey hasn't changed. Obviously, the fights have been slowing down, but hockey hasn't changed from the beginning. The rules, there are some rules that I think has hurt hockey. The different blue line to blue line rules and making the goal bigger, the pads, I think it's affected the game. I think the game was perfect the way it is, but the game hasn't really changed. I think when you look at the other sports and the change in the transition of the other sports, it's affected the game. So the one thing I love about hockey is hockey is stay true to the sport.
1: Wildly agree.
0: Thank you. We'll get you on again. Maybe we'll get Skorzeri on. I I think this would be great. An Islander and a Ranger
1: guy at the same time. I think it would be great. Michelle, thank you for
0: joining us. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Tell the fans how they can find you.
1: Everything is on eyesonisles.com, Twitter at T-L-O Mitch. You can also check out my YouTube channel. It's called Deckhands, and it's all about Islanders' prospects. Just Islanders' prospects, baby, all day, every day. That's where you can find all my stuff.
0: Well, well, well. Michelle was awesome. Definitely funny. Definitely had some good takes when it comes to the Islanders. And he's an Islander. He's not a Ranger. So, Islander fans listening to us right now, being that this is an Islander station, you definitely enjoyed some of the intake and the information that he gave you. We definitely would love to get him back on the show again. Definitely looking forward to doing that. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into something that really sickens me. The Chicago Blackhawks have made news, but not good news, news that will just completely and utterly sicken you when it comes to professional sports. When we come back, we'll get into that and some baseball as the World Series has begun. And yes, the Atlanta Braves are in the World Series. No, it's not the Atlanta Braves with Tom Clavin or Greg Maddox or any of those guys. No, it's the guys with Freeman Acuna, even though he's hurt, and all their interesting young players. So when we get back, we will come back to talking about the lonely Atlanta Braves and the cheating Houston Astros here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Easy. Yes, Tyler, he's not here. Yes, you could call me Big Easy. You could call me Rolo, Mr. Errol Marks, and Speedy, today, spiritual PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. In the studio, Speedy, we're watching Shrek. I've watched every single Shrek movie. And you know what Shrek reminds me of? Tyler... Harrison. Okay? <laughs> he definitely reminds me of Shrek. Just a wider version, not a greener version. I don't know if Tyler's going to like that, but uh, if Tyler's listening,
2: oh well. <laughs> so if, now the real question, if if Tyler were to kiss an ogre, would he say the same or Why would an ogre form? <laughs> well, he looks like an ogre, so I exactly. guess he'd turn it into an ogre.
0: <laughs> but anyways, uh, Tyler, I love you. Anyways, I, I want to get into this. Chicago Blackhawks situation. And I don't know where to begin on this. We can go into Thames' comments after this thing came out. Quinn Volk decides to withdraw from his job and step down from the Florida Panthers, one of the hottest teams in hockey, probably the best team in hockey right now. You talk about the GM, Bowman, stepping down during the week because of these stories and these allegations coming out. And what really bothers me is we've seen so much stuff going on in sports, college sports, professional sports but when you hear a story like this and we all know about the paternal situation in penn state and what was going on there and we've seen so many documentaries when you talk about the nhl and you talk about men and these kids are 19 20 years old but they're six foot three they're built like machines and you hear a story like this it just really ruffles who you are as a man and it really ruffles what you think of an organization on trying to hide something that should have been open from the beginning when it happened. And
2: there were a lot of other assistant coaches covering up, too. It wasn't just Quenville initially on that team. Brad Aldrich was the guy that was caught molesting these players. Kyle Beach was the one who came out a couple days ago, and was describing the situation, but there were apparently some others that were victimized as well, and there were other assistant coaches that ended up covering it up too, the Winnipeg Jets GM as well is now in hot water because of this scandal as well so it's definitely something that's going to be more than just those guys too, and Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane sticking up for Stan Bowman, yeah, that's not a good look for guys that are supposed to be quote-unquote leaders of your team and really the only veteran guys left on the team remaining because they traded Duncan Keith, they bought out Brett Brook, and now he's with Tampa Bay. Not much of that team left. Obviously, that team was very deep at the time, but a lot of those guys are gone, and those are really the only two left. So them standing up for Stan Bowman just doesn't make any sense either, and it's going to be a really bad look now for the Blackhawks as an organization, too. Black hole, that's what we're going to call it. Yeah, these young players, too. If you're a young player, why would you want to go there? Right. Why would you want to be drafted...
0: To an organization that doesn't protect their players.
2: And also too, these young players that are on this roster right now, a lot of these guys that have played well from Alex Debrink, it's Dominique Kubalik, who was a rookie of the year candidate in the uh, the shortened season, Kirby Doc, these guys are now getting mentored from Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, which I guess from on the ice standpoint will help, but not going to help them. You don't want to learn the kind of lessons and mentorship from guys that are standing up for a GM that was part of a cover-up and resigned quickly when he knew. If he resigns as quickly as he did, he was obviously involved. He knew about something or he's hiding from something, covering up something, and it definitely is a bad look for a lot How could you, you
0: think that you were going to get away with
2: this? Right.
0: How do you think that nobody was going to find out about this, that this kid wasn't going to open his mouth, that he was molested by one of his coaches?
2: Kyle Beach is not a big name on that roster. He was a healthy scratch fourth line guy that I don't even remember who he was before he came out so maybe definitely why they were thinking all right, maybe because it's not a big name I can get away with it but no you're not going to get away with anything like that in today's society you brought a paterno there was the same thing at Baylor with uh, Art Skiles too and Hugh Freeze too with Mm. Ole Miss too there was was a bunch of them in college sports and so I think as a result you're not going to get away with it in today's society now there's going to be other teams too that they're probably going to get investigated for this too and definitely other members of that coaching Staff too. It's not just going to be Aldrich. It's going to be a lot more. And obviously, Quenville. I don't know if Quenville actually brought some other assistance from Chicago to Florida, but that's definitely whatever's left of that team. They're not getting anywhere.
0: To me, when you hear a story this sick, this disturbing because I didn't know the story. And when we were talking about it on the sports loudmouths, I was attacking the kid because he's six foot three, 205 pounds when he was drafted. He's a big man. How do you let somebody molest you? But when you think about the story and what this guy did and actually bringing him to his house and telling him that you will not play on the playoff team, the Stanley cup team, if you don't do the things that he asked him to do, to molesting him is disgusting. I take back everything I said on the sports lineouts because I didn't know the story until I read the allegations. And to me, the fact that Joel Quinville didn't do anything, being that he's the head coach of the team, three-time Stanley Cup champion, one of the best coaches in the NHL, and he didn't stand up to his players and stand up for his players and fire their coach and maybe got the authorities involved with this – it's disgusting.
2: And it's very similar to the Paterno situation if you think about it. Joe Paterno, one of the winningest coaches, I think he was actually the winningest coach in college football at that time, and Joel Quenville, the second winningest coach in NHL history, and they're both now not going to be known for that anymore because of their shadiness that they decided to hide from their assistant coaches.
0: You take a step back, I don't know who Kyle Beach is. I'm looking at his Twitter right now, he's got 31,000 followers, he'll probably have a lot more by the end of this. Mm -hmm. Might even put him on a pedestal now some of these People in this world that have been molested He'll obviously help out Because he was a kid that was molested as well So this could turn out to be Obviously not a good thing But something that you can look past it And obviously an athlete can help out some of these innocent kids that are getting molested right. by not only their parents, but school teachers and different people around the world. It's really disgusting. As an organization, a multi-billion dollar organization, the ownership over there should be gone. If these same owners are still there, the NHL and Gary Bettman need to get involved and need to, to force his hands and tell him you have to sell the team. Absolutely. Because if you don't know what's going on behind closed doors and you don't know if you're paying the salaries to these coaches, you're bringing these coaches, you trusting your GM to bring in the right coaches. Coaches, to the right players to look over these kids when their parents are Letting these kids get drafted, giving you their kids after they're drafted, it is an absolutely despicable thing. And Quinville is like a father. He should have been a father figure. And that's something that paternal should have done when that stuff was going on in his stead. So, unfortunately, this story is only going to get worse. There's going to be more that comes out. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to lose their jobs. It's going to definitely hurt the NHL, as the NHL has definitely been growing over the last couple of years, not only in North America, but around the country. This is going to hurt it because. What parent would want to raise their kid playing hockey so their son gets drafted and gets molested by one of their coaches. The NHL really needs to look at this thing. Uh, Quinville will probably never coach again. All these guys, the GM, Bowman will probably never GM again. How could you ever give these guys another chance or another job after hiding something so despicable, so disgusting, so ruthless? This Kyle Beach over the last, I would say, 10 years has been hiding this secret and finally had the courage to... Come out and speak and tell people what happened to him those years over there in Chicago. I want to give a shout out to Kyle Beach because I give him a lot of credit. It's very hard for a man to come out and say and do something like this because you want to protect yourself and you don't want to throw yourself and your name under the bus. But the fact that you did this shows you that you're recovering. You're ready to recover from the disgusting despicable things that happened to you over there in Chicago.
2: And like you said, it's going to help other people that might not have that kind of bravery, that kind of courage to come out and tell their story too Mm -hmm. if you're seeing a professional athlete do it.
0: Absolutely. I hope they drop the hammer on Quinville. I hope they drop the hammer on Bowman. I really think they should get the authorities involved with this. This is jail time. You can't honestly tell me that these guys are just going to get away with it because he's a Stanley Cup champion coach and this guy's a Stanley Cup... Uh, champion GM, and and think, oh, you know what? Let's just push it under the rug. Well, let's pay this guy out and leave it alone. This isn't going to work. No way the press is going to let that happen. This is definitely going to be dragging, and I know Jeff told me the other day that he believes that when the, the story comes out with the Washington football team, this thing will be pushed under the rug and nobody's going to care about this. I beg to differ. Yeah, I, think, no. I think this is going to get worse. I, I really do. I think there's other players that were molested. I think there are kids that are getting molested, and, and the fact that this guy who was molesting Kyle Beach and other players gave a reference to this guy to get another job somewhere else. It, it's despicable. We'll get into the story more as the story starts to come out a little bit more where we can put two and two together and put the stories together. Finishing up on this segment, I, I want to get into some baseball. The Atlanta Braves squeaked into the World Series this year and played fantastic through the National League and knocked off the champion Dodgers, which a lot of people thought they never had a chance. We did. Um, yes, we did. I look at the Braves right now, even though they lost their star veteran pitcher to a broken fibula, uh, that was a bad loss when it comes to a pitcher of that magnitude, a guy that has pitched very, very well throughout his career in the playoffs. He's been a dominant pitcher in the playoffs. One of the reasons why they made a move and signed him to $14 million in the off season a year. You think of the Astros and the allegations again, that's coming out from the Boston Red Sox stating that the Astros were whistling, tipping pitches, I'm not surprised. And if this story is somewhat true and the MLB investigates this again and they get caught, they should lose first-round draft picks. Obviously, you can't kick them out of the World Series because the the series is over. But you have to do something to this organization and this team because these players are not learning. This team is not learning. What did it take? Being embarrassed by the world, being embarrassed uh, and getting your GM Fired, getting your coach fired, pretty much getting everybody fired. And some of your players, some of these other coaches, Alex Corr getting fired, Obviously, Carlos Beltran getting fired from the whole situation. This is an embarrassment. I don't know if the MLB is going to investigate. I think they will at the end of the season. They all will investigate it and see if this is true. They did do the investigation with the Astros after that. Mm-hmm. If it is true, they should be heavily fined. Dusty Baker should be fired. I know Dusty Baker's an old man and stuff like that. Maybe he had nothing to do with it. It doesn't matter. You are the coach. You're the manager of the team. And being that you're letting this go, it's an embarrassment. It's an absolutely embarrassing situation.
2: You wonder now with a new front office, a new manager, Dusty Baker was brought in to maybe bring more, I guess, class and more tradition to this team, maybe more stability. And you wonder if Dusty Baker, who's been attacking a lot of these critics of the cheating past maybe now has something to say about this when it comes to this whistling. Now, is the whistling as egregious as the buzzers and the cameras and all the technology? I don't know. You're you're tipping pitches. I'm not saying it's not cheating. Is it as bad as all that where They're going to maybe lose everybody? I don't know. But it definitely is something that is shady when it comes to the fact of Dusty Baker was here brought here to be old school, to be the leader, the manager that's going to bring leadership, especially the young team now. Now, again, these players, a lot of these players that are on this current roster were not on the 2017 roster that was initially for cheating. It's a lot of new starting pitchers. Kyle Tucker was a prospect. A lot of these young players were not, but you still got Bregman, you still got Correa, you still got Altuve, you still got Gurriel. All these guys that are still part of that core. Maldonado, I believe, was there too as the backup catcher. You got a lot of these guys still remaining from there that are definitely still going to have some influence on it. And if they didn't find another way to do it with the trash cans, with the buzzers, with whatever Altuve was covering when he hit the walk-off home run against the Yankees, it's still going to linger. And, Again, I don't know who is involved. I don't know if there's as much involvement, but it definitely is something to investigate. In terms of the Braves, they're just proving they can overcome a lot of different odds, even in that game when Morton got hurt. One, Morton pitched through the pain a lot of the time, too. Made a play on a comeback or actually ran to first base, I believe, at the end of the second inning, too, with all that. Struck out two guys after that, so kudos to him. That's a warrior-like performance. And Again, will the Braves be able to overcome it? They've overcome Acuna's injury. They overcame pitching injuries all year. I wouldn't rule it out in a short series. I hope they
0: do. I don't want to see the Astros. One. No, I
2: don't think anybody does at this point. And you got a lineup that's still hitting on many different cylinders.
0: We'll call them the che- we'll call them the cheat
2: The the asterisks is the popular one, but that works too. Uh, but the Braves, I think they're definitely a great story of what they've been able to put together with that young team. A lot of these new pitchers now that are coming through for them. I know Morton's injury being he's a great playoff pitcher definitely hurts, but the Braves have overcome it all year. They wouldn't be here if they didn't.
0: I think it's pretty impressive what we've seen with the Atlanta Braves and what they have done with all the injuries they started in the beginning of the season, losing their top two pitchers mm-hmm. to injury. Slowly but surely, made the trades at the trade deadline that really solidified this team in the outfield and added the power that they needed to, to get them all the way to the World Series. So It's an amazing story. I'd like to see them finish it. The Atlanta Braves haven't won a championship in almost 20-some-odd years. I'd like to see this team actually pull it off and win their first title in such a significant amount of time. Imagine
2: that. The the last time the Braves won the World Series, half their players weren't born yet.
0: Well, it's true. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to finish up, before we get into our crunch time and debate hours, with some basketball. The New York Knicks playing great basketball in first place in the Eastern Conference. Who would have thought that? And right now are the team to beat. I really do believe that with the depth that they have. I'm going to get into that. We'll also get into the Nets and what they need to do to get back into this easy street Eastern Conference where if they can win two or three games, they can get right back up on top. So when we come back, we'll get into the Nets as well. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy... Spiritual speedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. A little fabulous, speedy. I, I, I like it. I wanted to get into basketball. I wanted to give it its own segment because who would have thought that the New York Knicks would be in first place? I know it's early. I know it's only five games in. The Knicks are 4-1. and one. But who would have thought that the Knicks would be sitting all alone on top of the Eastern Conference right now? You talk about the Walker move and the Fournier move, and, and slowly but surely you're seeing how— important those pieces were as long as they stay healthy how important they're going to be as the season progresses. Obi Toppin's growth, Quickly's growth, slowly but surely the veterans and guys like R.J. Barrett figure things out. He's playing two-way basketball. He might be up for defensive player of the year this year. He's played fantastic defense under Tom Thibodeau. I think he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league right now. And then you have Julius Randle who couldn't hit a lick or can't hit a lick when when the pressure's on him. I'm gonna put Julius Randle down All season long until this guy figures it out, when the pressure is on him, you're the superstar of the team. You like to force shots. You like to put up shots. When the pressure is on you, you need to make that shot. You need to make those foul shots. You need to hit those shots. And the other night against the Bulls, with 4.6 seconds left or 4.7 seconds left, when he had two foul shots to really seal the deal, because to force up a three with four and a half seconds left, the chances of you hitting it are very slim. Probably 22% or 20%. So, he put the Knicks in harm's way where all they had to do was put up a two and they would have won the game. And to me, Julius Randle, when the fans started coming in last year, he wasn't the same player. When the playoffs started and the pressure was on him against the Atlanta Hawks, he just didn't show up. He really put up a lousy goose egg. Guys like Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson, the older guys, the, guys, the veteran guys, were... The guys that really stood out the little bit of time that they were in the playoffs, especially with the one win that they had. They were probably the only two. (laughs) Yeah, so you think of what is the New York Knicks? What do you determine the New York Knicks are right now? I think this is a team that has as much depth as any team in basketball. I think that they have a star. They don't have a superstar. They might even have two stars because I still think Kemba Walker could be. So they're a team that has a bunch of really good players but not that significant. Superstar player that can take over a game and win you a game.
2: The thing the Knicks have is two things they never have point guard depth and just overall depth, shooting depth consistency within that shooting depth I know Julius Randle hasn't been that in terms of efficiency but he's been that in other areas he's passing the ball getting seven assists nine assists in certain games too and he's getting other guys involved in certain areas yes he's taking bad shots still yes he's inefficient at times still hopefully that could be fixed but that's really the only flaw in his game right now and it's definitely something that has to be fixed if the Knicks are going to win these close games and the Knicks barely held on they want to win a championship they better figure this out because other teams that are more experienced or other lockdown defensive teams that the Knicks aren't. The Knicks are tremendous, but there are other teams, like Miami, like Milwaukee, if they play in the playoffs, that are also good defensively. So if the Knicks are down late in the game, they're going to need to do better.
0: Milwaukee also has players that can hit big shots. Right. Miami has players that can hit big shots. The 76ers have a player that can hit big shots. Do the Knicks? The answer is no. And that's a huge problem. And
2: maybe that'll develop into the season. We'll see. Again, a lot of these players are still young. Derrick Rose and Kemba Walker are more of the facilitator types. If they're open to take shots late in the game, yeah, maybe they'll take the shots. Derrick Rose has improved his shooting as the game has evolved into a three-point game because when he came in, in his prime he was an okay three-point shooter but it wasn't his main thing. He was better at attacking the rim, great vision and in his MVP season could score at will but wasn't the great raw shooter. And Kemba Walker's kind of the same way. He's gotten better at his three-point shooting but it's still not his strength where they have all these other wing players. Fournier that could shoot quickly when he's on. He's been a little down from last year but he's still good. He could shoot the three. Barrett's gotten a lot better at shooting the threes and a lot smarter too which is a good sign for him. He used to be like Randall last year where he was forcing up shots at weird times too, so that's a good sign, and Obi Toppin as well has looked really good, not as a three-point shooter, but as an all-around player That's definitely helps them play different types of lineups, because Tom Thibodeau, not normally, like you mentioned, not normally liking to play small all the time, but if Toppin's a five, they could play other small lineups now having that wing depth too, to go along with Fournier, Barrett, Randall as those wing-type players, and even if their rookies get involved too later in the season as well.
0: It's going to be very interesting as the season progresses and you're 25, 30 games in, where the Knicks are, and what the Knicks could 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 do at the trade deadline that really could position themselves to possibly be a NBA championship competitive team in the Eastern Conference. I still think that with the depth that they have, they can compete with any team in the East. They really could. But could they win the big close game? Are you going to trust that Julius Randle's going to hit the big shot like a Kevin Durant can or like a Greek freak can or Middleton can? I don't know if I trust him. I don't know who the closer is without Julius Randle. Julius Randle shoots I would say about, give or take, 40% of the Knicks' shots every single game. I mean, he's averaging, what, 25 shots a game? The Knicks are averaging close to 58, and 60 shots a game. So if you're averaging that, you have a guy that's averaging almost a quarter of your shots. So if he's not hitting, you're not winning. And that's a huge problem. And I know Tom Thibodeau loves Julius Randle. He took less money, took $116 million in the offseason. For a guy of his magnitude and talent that he has and what he can do, uh, that's on the cheap. It's huge. I mean, he saved the Knicks probably $80, $90 million, which they can put in another man's pocket in the future. But is that other man... On this roster, or is that other man somewhere else? And that's the question, and the only question that could be answered by the New York Knicks. I love what I see. I love Tom Thibodeau and how he preaches defense, and, these t- and some of these players, like Kemba Walker, he-, he played very good defense the other day against the Bulls. Fournier he looks like he's a pretty good defender, e- even though he's not known for his defense. And even R.J. Barrett, coming from Duke, he was more of an attack-to-rim type of player. He's become an elite defender. He really has. I mean, I could see him a first or second-team defensive player this year, uh, as good as he's played so far. If he continues doing this and taking the best shooting guard or three out of the game or actually holding them to a less amount of points, he could position himself very, very well to be thought of as one of the best offensive players in the league.
2: At least for the Eastern Conference, though, you have to believe there's some sense of optimism for in terms of getting this team to that next level, even with that unknown element of having the closer, just because Miami and Milwaukee were kind of questioned for the same things. They're the last two Eastern Conference champions. Miami obviously lost, Milwaukee won, but they were more defensive teams too. Defensive scheme, defensive coaching, and they were questioning who is that guy. Everyone was criticizing Jimmy Butler. Is he a closer? And he turned out to be that year. Tyler Hero was great that season. Those kinds of guys emerge. Milwaukee, the same kind of thing. Everyone's like, oh, Giannis can't do it in the big game. Giannis chokes under pressure. Chris Middleton takes bad shots when it matters, kind of like what we were saying with Randall last year. Hopefully the Knicks can learn from that kind of thing, and maybe say, all right, at least for the Eastern Conference standards, we saw these other teams do that, these defensive first teams, transform themselves in terms of needing to do what is best under pressure. And efficiency can still matter, and doing the smart play matters. Hopefully Randall can turn that around with his inefficiency, but at least he's not wasting possessions, though, either. Sometimes you can see Julius Randle shoot a bunch of times and not do anything else. He's at least getting assists as well, too, though, which is a good sign. And if he can at least clean up some of the bad shots, that'll be a good sign for the Knicks. So we already seen R.J. Barrett do it this year too, which is good. So the Knicks are kind of gaining that basketball IQ mojo from the offensive side, where they normally just had it on the defensive. And
0: then there's the Nets,
2: and I don't the like basketball Kyrie
0: IQ Irvin deceased Nets. And I say deceased because you might as well count him to be dead because he's not playing, and I don't think he's coming back. So, I look at the Nets right now. James Harden's got to pick up his game. He's been absolutely horrible this year. You traded all those pieces, all those first-round draft picks, all those players, Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, who's one of the best rebounders in the league. You gave up all those pieces for James Harden. James Harden's got to produce when Kyrie Irving's not in the lineup.
2: They traded Landry Schmidt this offseason, too. So.
0: Yeah. You look at this team, and there's not a lot of depth. They're not like the Knicks. A lot older than the Knicks. And they look old. Up and down the court, Griffin does not look like the the same Griffin that we remember. LaMarcus Aldridge, he retired and he came back. He didn't play for almost a full season. You yeah, know, he so, kind of knew it would take a while. For yeah, so, talk. I mean, this team, they're old. Yes, they got two superstars, and Kevin Durant can take over a game and win a game by himself. But we saw that Kevin Durant, when the pressure was on him, he couldn't get his team over the hump against one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. So if they don't have Kyrie Irvin and James Harden isn't playing at the top of his game, they don't stand a chance, Speedy.
2: Yeah, Kevin Durant, having to will your team to victory is not really an ideal circumstance for a longer season now. Remember, 72 games last year versus 82 now this year, back to a normal season. And the Nets, if they don't get it going, might be stuck in those play-in rounds, which that's more games that they have to deal with. More toll on Kevin Durant, who's already been carrying the load from last year, too. Did fantastic in the playoffs. He'll be
0: gone by next year.
2: He might be at this rate if it takes too much of a toll on his body and he has to do everything. And James Harden struggling this year is a big big problem for the Nets. He's still getting assists. Okay. He's dang primary ball handling duty. At least because of no if Kyrie I pass Irving. to
0: Kevin Durant or Griffin or any of these guys can jam the ball, I'd be getting 12-13 assists. Well, sure. That's to or... mention,
2: he's touching it more like he did with Houston now where he wasn't doing that when Kyrie Irving and him were in the lineup together, which was not a lot of games granted, but still was enough for him to take away ball handling duties where he's now being the guy that handles the ball practically every possession. And James Harden's always had an issue with usage rate. He's always, always been worn out throughout the season. That's not the player you alongside Kevin Durant, who's been dealing with a lot of injuries and willed your team through the playoffs last year and would have won that playoff series had Kevin Durant been a little further back behind the line and hit that buzzer beater. But nevertheless... It's not a recipe for success the way the Nets are going, especially in that play-in format if it comes down to that. They're going to need these older guys to start stepping up, or even some of the younger guys they drafted this year, maybe to start being contributed bench shooters off the bench, but still, it's not an ideal circumstance. Their defense isn't helping them, and their team definitely does look old. Blake Griffin looked good last year with the Nets in the limit sample, but definitely has not looked He looks old. Year. Patty Mills is really the only veteran well Patty played Mills has played well, has played well yeah. but he's not Kyrie Irving. No. He's your good, fundamentally sound point guard, but yeah. But you brought not... him in to really fill in that spot and sure. it just it's not happening. Yeah, he's not the dynamic ball handler playmaker that Kyrie Irving is by any means and he's older too so he's not going to be able to bring the consistency every game like that either so the Nets need to find something that will work in terms of getting these veterans involved at least in their roles at least and maybe not having to try wearing out your two best players and James Harden you guys start shooting better too You want to talk about inefficiency oh god mm. James Harden at least when he's been inefficient in the past he's still been good you can't be inefficient and score eight 18 points a game.
0: Well, we can call them the old Nets because that's what they look like. And, and hopefully somehow they can take Kyrie Irving out of the ground or whatever the heck they have to do. But they got to figure something out because not having him in your lineup, it, it really affects the team and the growth of this team. And if this team has any chance of winning a championship against the West or even some of these Eastern Conference top teams, they have to have Kyrie Irving back or get somebody back for him. That is going to help this team grow
2: Maybe if Kyrie Irving does go underground, he'll realize that the earth isn't flat. (laughs) Well, I think
0: he realizes that now. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, our last segment of the day, Speedy. We got a combined debate wars and crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. And remember... You can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Moving throughout this show, it's been really flowing and I want to give a shout out to our guest Michelle Anderson he was a great guest eyes on Isle's blog if you haven't checked that out he is a full time writer
2: now for the Islanders great prospect analyst
0: absolutely he knows his stuff so if you guys missed the interview well you can hear the replay you can go to the app or the website and you can hear the replay but great great show moving forward we do this every single week Speedy what do we got
2: we got debate wars
0: this is the debate hour and now, in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a sht? All
2: right, we'll start with a little hockey this week. Who is a better player, Steve Iserman or Joe Sackick? Ah, that's a good one. I'm going to go with Stevie I.
0: Joe Sakic was a great player. Played for Colorado, the quarterback, Newer Deeks. But Stevie I, I mean, ever since he came into the league with Scotty Bowman, he really put the Detroit Red Wings on his shoulders. And what he did as a player offensively, defensively, two-way hockey, a leader, really took Detroit to that next level with all the great players that they had from the Nicholas Lindstroms to the Sergei Fedorov. None of them were as good as Stevie Oseman. So I'm going to go with Stevie Oseman.
2: I'm going to go with Sackett because I think his playoff numbers I think were a little bit better. Iserman was great too. Both of them had two of the most tremendous playoff numbers we'll ever see. But I think Sackett doing the points a little less years he played and I think both of them playing on great teams. I just think he had a a couple more 100 point seasons. I think he gets a slight edge for me. So I'm going to give it to Sackett. Uh, Let's go to baseball here. Two guys that have very similar peak careers and then some controversy with them. Who is a better player? Ryan Braun or Jose Batista? I'm going to go with Ryan Braun. Now, Ryan Braun cheated. Who knows? Jose Bautista probably cheated. It was a scandal. It was impossible.
0: Yeah, so we don't know if he didn't cheat or not. So I'm going to go with Ryan Braun because Ryan Braun was a two-way player. He could play the game on both sides of the field. Great defensive player. Great offensive player. Can hit for average. Hit for power. So I'm going to go all around with Ryan Braun.
2: I'm going to go with Ryan Braun. I don't know where you got great defensive player. I didn't see it as a great defensive player. He was a great defensive player. Great defensive but player. He, he stole bases. He hit for batting average.
0: He wasn't a bad defensive player.
2: They were both kind of average to me in terms of their outfield defense. Both of them were converted third baseman to outfield. I don't think either of them were great, but Ryan Braun stole bases. Ryan Braun had, I think, five seasons where he hit over 300. I think it was close to a batting title that year. Where just the,
0: because you didn't win a gold glove, does not I know
2: that. But both of them did look lost in the outfield at times, too. I just give the edge to Braun because I don't think the steroids really give you batting average. And stolen bases as much. You, you see guys get worse on stolen bases because of batting average. Braun at least had stolen bases of that. Remember, Batista as well also took him a while to get him going in the league. He was bouncing around with six different teams before he got to the Blue Jays and really found his calling. I'm going to give it to Braun as well. Alright, let's go to the NFL. Who is a better safety? Leroy Butler or Joey Browner? I'm going to say Joey
0: Browner. Leroy Butler was a good player, but I think Browner was a more strategic player, uh, more defensive player, man-to-man player. Not the guy that's going to go up there and intercept the ball, but a guy that can shut your best wide receiver down. So I'm going to go with Browner.
2: I'm going to go with Browner as well because I think Butler also played with more talent around him. He got to play with Charles Woodson. He got to play with Reggie White at certain points in his career. I think the Packers on that team had more defensive talent. Minnesota also at that time was really relying on their defense. So A lot of their top defensive players had to set up. They had some good pass rushers okay, but they didn't have the great all-around talent and they really needed them to win games. The Vikings didn't make a Super Bowl in the 80s and the 90s but they made a lot of playoff appearances because of that defense and Browner was a big part. So I'm going to go with him as well. All right. Who is a better power forward? Charles Barkley or Kevin Garnett? I'm going to go with Charles
0: Barkley. I think Charles Barkley was the better all-around player. Now – Obviously, Kevin Garnett was a great defensive player, great blocker. His offensive game really developed later in his career. Charles Barkley, his offensive game really came right when he came out of Auburn. I think Charles Barkley's offensive skills were really elite. And when he came to the 76ers and he dominated, he played with, obviously, the doctor, really developed his skills and turned his skills even to better superstar. And then winning an MVP that he did with Phoenix, I don't think Kevin Garnett ever won an MVP. So I'm going to go with Charles Barkley. I'm
2: going to go with Garnett for the all-defensive teams. He had 12. of them in his career. I think with that Minnesota team, which was more of the area into a Cassell and Stefan Marber, he was really anchoring that defense a lot of the time. I, I Charles Barkley, obviously, was a great defender, too. He was a rebounding champion, I think, four or five times in his career. Again, that's kind of hard to do without Dennis Rodman in your career learning it. I think Garnett was still a good offensive player. He had a diminished role with the Celtics when he got there, and I think that kind of hindered his points per game, but I think all around, I'm going to go with Garnett. Back to hockey. Who was a better winger, Daniel Sedin or Ray Whitney? I'm going to go
0: with Daniel Sedin. Daniel Sedin was a better all-around player, a better all- offensive player. Yes, he played with his brother over there in Vancouver, yeah. so obviously gives him the advantage, but Vancouver, they went to the finals. They actually played together at a Stanley Cup, so I'm going to go with Daniel Sedin.
2: I'm going to go with Sedin as well. I think also the plus minus, too. Granted, a better team than the Whitney was on the last time, but Whitney had some good teams. I think Sedin, for the most part, was consistent as well, even when his brother Henrik was out with injury a lot later in his career. He was keeping that team afloat for a while. They were still not high-level playoff teams like they were in Vancouver, but lower-level playoff teams where I think they were still competitive. So I agree with you. I'm going to go with Sedin. Just more steady. All right, one more. Who is the better Dodgers pitcher, Fernando Valenzuela or Oral Hershizer? Oral Hershizer.
0: It's not even an argument. Oral oh, Hirschheiser was dominant in the late 80s, early 90s. He was the reason why they won the championship. He was the best pitcher on that roster. He was one of the best pitchers in baseball before he got
2: hurt. No question, it's Oral Hirschheiser. I'm going to go with Hershiser as well. I think his peak years were definitely better. Postseason wise he was definitely good at certain points. Obviously, that 88 team was that young guys. Valenzuela was a little better that year, but Hershiser was still a big part for it. I think his longevity was definitely better. Valenzuela had some rough years when he got bumped around certain teams, whereas Hershiser, when he was bumped around certain teams, still had some good years throughout the process. Even though they weren't, like, the two-point-something ERA years, he still had some good years. So I'm also going to go with Oral Hershiser on this one. All right, so that is Debate Wars for this week. And now we switch to the final segment in Crunch Time.
0: It's time
2: for Crunch Time. see the pitch. All right, let's start in the NFL. Buy or sell? Both Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott will have 100-plus rushing yards in their matchup this week.
0: I'm going to buy it. I I think this is going to be a running game with both quarterbacks. Now, obviously, Kirk Cousins is going to be able to throw, and we don't know who's going to be throwing if it's tack or a rush. We don't know who it is, but I think Zeke's going to have a heavy load, and I also believe if Dalvin Cook is in a lineup, you have to feed him the ball. He's one of the best running backs in the league, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I
2: don't know if Zeke does. I think Dalvin Cook will. Vikings have done well stopping the run. They only did a couple of duds the first two weeks against the Bengals. Joe Mixon went off on them, but that was really it. The Minnesota's done well against the run. Their front's been very good. I think Dallas will still end up throwing the ball a lot, because I, I do think Dak will play, but I do think they'll end up throwing the ball a lot more. I think the Vikings will still do it too, but Cook, I think, will get his as well. So I'm going to disagree. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell? With the Athletics now moving on from Bob Melvin, they will hire Mike Schultz as their next manager. I'm going to sell it. I don't know where
0: Schultz is going but I don't know if he's going to go out west, and why would he want to go to the Oakland A's? They never win. They, they always have a good team. They always squeak into the playoffs or almost a borderline playoff team. I, I don't think Schultz is the answer. They need to get a guy. I think they need to bring in a younger guy that's going to give him a little bit more oomph. To their team So I am going to sell them
2: I am going to buy it I feel like the Cardinals And the Athletics Are very similar Whether we work From the farm system I know the Cardinals Are obviously better In the playoffs But they work From the farm system Develop young pitching Very similarly I think it's a good fit In terms of The type of manager He is Because I think If the Athletics Don't get that they're going to have a tough time trying to find a manager with a team that's still very talented, and Bob Melvin may be a part of why There'll he was in the be a bunch of
0: teams lining up for
2: sure. Absolutely, I just think that the Athletics, I think they're, gonna they're be a not going to get them. I think they're going to be a good fit for what they need, so I'm going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Penn State will cover minus 18.5 against Ohio State at Ohio State. I'm going to buy it, even though Penn State is not a good
0: offensive team. We've seen that they're not a good offensive team this year. Something tells me Ohio State's going to lay up
2: a dud, even though Ohio will win. But I am going to buy that that's going to happen. I am absolutely buying it as well. Penn State's defense is still very good, where I think they can keep Ohio State contained a little bit. Ohio State's been up and down when it comes to running the ball this year. They're more of a passing team, but they try to be a running team at the same time. I think Ohio State's been vulnerable in certain games in the beginning of the season where I think Penn State could definitely expose it. I think Ohio State will win, but I think Penn State will keep it close. I agree with you. I will buy that one. All right, buy it or sell. This is an interesting rumor. John Tortorella has been linked to the Florida Panthers. He will be the Florida Panthers. Next head coach next season. I'll buy it because I
0: think he wants to get out of the Blue Jackets. I don't think he wants to be there. So <laughs> I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it
2: as well. I think he still wants to coach. I think he still has a desire to coach. We've seen him do well with young players. And I think Florida's that kind of team, that young team that's very similar to where they have a lot of the young offensive talent but need that kind of defensive prowess. Florida has Ekblad. They have Mackenzie Wieger, who's pretty good, but they don't really have the depth. I think that Tortorella system will definitely help them out. So I can see them kind of making that kind of power move. And they're their team is definitely rising. They're undefeated right now. Whether they stay that way without Quenville with an interim coach is another question. But I still think they realize they're on the up and up with the rest of the division getting worse too. So I am actually going to buy that as well. All right, buy or sell? Daniel Jones will have more combined pass and rushing yards than Patrick Mahomes.
0: I'm going to sell that. That's not happening. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes has not had the season that everybody thought he was going to have. That has a lot to do with his new offensive line and trying to figure things out with their defense. But Daniel Jones, even though I think he's slowly but surely growing into position, he is not anywhere close to Patrick Mahomes, so I'm going to sell it.
2: I'm going to sell it, too. I think he'll have a good amount of rushing yards in this game. It's a base 4-3 defense, but one, I do think Mahomes will also run a good amount, too, in compensation for a lack of a a Chiefs running game. I think you're going to see him roll out and do bootlegs a lot more often. And the Giants' defense still hasn't been great, where I I think Mahomes will still get enough big plays to compensate, so I will sell it as well. Buy or sell? the New York Mets will sign three out of five of Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard, J.D. Davis, Dominic Smith, and Michael Conforto.
0: So, they're not going to do that. I think they're going to bring in new players. This is a new day and a new age of a New York Met baseball, so I, I think Steve Cohen's going to be looking at other players and possibly upgrading the position, so I'm going to sell that.
2: I'm going to sell it, too. I think two out of five. I think Syndergaard will take the qualifying offer, and I think they'll bring back Dominic Smith, but I think the other three good riddance with them. Conforto really regressed last year. J.D. Davis has had trouble staying healthy, and again, he had a nice flash in the pan right at the beginning with Brody Van Wagenen and bringing him in, but that was really it. And Stroman, I think he's going to want a lot of money, where I think he's going to test free agency and eventually go somewhere else. So I will sell it as well. Alright, buy or sell. James Harden, by the end of the month of November, will still have under 20 points a game.
0: I'm going to sell that. I I think he's going to figure things out. He's right now in a bad situation. He's put himself in a bad situation, but he's too good of a player. He's too good of an offensive player. I I think he'll start to realize that he needs to get back to the hole and keep drawing fouls. That's what he's
2: good at, so I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it, too. I think the volume alone, he'll have his big games. He shoots a lot. Even if he's going to still be at 40% or 41% that he's shooting right now, he's going to get the volume going eventually. Do I think it's a lot over 20? No, I still think it'll be barely over 20 because he still has had his woes, but I think he'll still get over 20 eventually, so I'm going to sell it as well. Alright, buy or sell? Number 6 Michigan will beat number 8 Michigan State at Michigan State. I
0: will say yes. I, I, I do. I'm going to buy that. I think Michigan is going to be undefeated all the way into that Ohio State game, and then it's hit or miss with that game like it always is every single year, and they usually lose, but I'm going to buy that they're going to be Michigan State.
2: I'm going to buy it too. I think they're going to lose somewhere else before Ohio State. I think maybe Penn State could be an option for them once they get healthy once they get their quarterback back but I think in this game Michigan State I don't know if they're as well-rounded enough against that good level of a Michigan defense to be able to show and Michigan's offense has shown a lot this year between Cade McNamara playing well their two running backs playing well I think they just have a little more to work with it's not going to be an egregious home field advantage for Michigan State either where it's going to take over there's going to be Michigan fans as well so I'm going to agree with you I'm going to buy that all right buy or sell Alex Ovechkin. He's four goals away from passing Brett Hull for fourth all-time. He will do it within the next six games.
0: I'm going to sell that. I don't think he's going to do that. I know it's Alex Ovechkin, but it's hard especially when you're, you're trying to score four goals and you're trying to break that record. I think the record's on his mind. I think he wants to break Brett Hall and, and start to move up in that goal-scoring
2: situation with Wayne Gretzky. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think the Capitals are due for a little bit of a slump, too. They've really started hot to begin the season, but I think they'll go cold eventually. Ovechkin's oh, going to have a good amount of goals. I think he'll still have two or three. I don't know if he'll get four, though, and I don't know if he'll get in six games. Eight games, nine games, I think will be a good reason for him, especially if he gets it done on the power play. But I think the Capitals are due for a cold stretch where teams are going to key in on him more, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell? The Yankees will sign Salvador Perez this offseason. I will buy it. I think the Yankees will find a
0: way to to sign Perez. They're going to look at other players as well, but I'm going to buy that. I think the Yankees will find
2: a way to sign him. I'm going to sell it. I think another team will give him more just because they might need the urgency more. The Yankees still have a lot of offensive talent. I know they're trying to move Gary Sanchez, but I think there's still a lot of unknowns of whether that's going to happen, whether they're going to get a, a trade offer for him. So I think another team will jump on it first. I think Salvador Perez wants that big contract. Kind of that last payday type thing where I think he'll jump on the first offer. He's not going to wait around like a a lot of people think he will. I'm actually going to disagree. I will sell that. Buy or sell? Evan Fournier will finish second on the Knicks in terms of points per game at the end of the season.
0: I'm going to buy it. Everything that we've seen so far is one of the best three-point shooters right now on the team and in the league. The way he's shooting the ball. If he continues and he stays healthy, I do. I'm going to buy it.
2: I'm going to buy it too. His shooting has been efficient. He's been smart. And I think he's going to get more touches as a result. He's got good range. He's got good inside game too, his mid-range shooting, even drawing fouls too, where I think it'll definitely add up over time. I think R.J. Barrett will be a close third, but I think Fournier's just the better shooter. The threes will add up over the twos over time, so I'm going to agree with you and buy that. One more. Derek Henry will have 150 or more yards against the Colts this week.
0: I'm going to buy it. I don't think the Colts are going to be able to stop him. Nobody, even the New York Jets, who at one point was one of the best run-stopping teams in the league. Crazy to say that. He goes over there in New York and still runs over almost 150 yards, so I'm going to buy it. I I don't think they have an answer for him.
2: I'm going to sell it. I think 150 is a lot. He'll definitely have over 100. I can see 120, something like that. But the Colts' interior is still very good with DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. They got Darius Leonard inside. And even the kid Okiki played well last week and the last couple of weeks in replacing of Anthony Walker. I think their linebackers have been good enough. And I think Tennessee will still try to pass the ball. They had some success against Kansas City last week. I still think they're going to kind of carry over that game plan where you're not going to see the volume of it. With Derek Henry, like you usually do, he'll play great. And I think... Frank Reich and Matt Abateflus and that defensive staff will let him have his yards at times and stop him when they need to. So I am going to sell it and say he doesn't get 150, 120, something like that. I could see him getting, but not 150. Well, ladies and gentlemen,
0: that was crunch time and obviously debate wars. We will be back next week. As always, I want to thank Michelle Anderson for joining us, the Islanders blogger, Eyes on Isles blogger. It's a great, great blog. If you like the Islanders and you like to investigate what the Islanders are going to do next, what the ownership is going to do, you definitely got to check that blog out. Michelle is a great writer. So I'd like to thank him for joining us. All the fans that listen to us throughout the week with the Sports Loudmouth and our network, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, keep listening to us as we grow. We have over 850,000 downloads right now on Apple. And we're just growing. It's amazing what we're doing right now, not only for Long Island, but for, for New York sports and the sports in the world. All our shows are from throughout the other states and throughout the country. So thank you for all the fans for really giving us your ears. We will be back next week, as always, with probably a new guest. So definitely stay tuned for that. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.